you know, we've been in a, we've been in a series called Uncertain. Uncertain. And what this, the heartbeat of this series is that during a time of uncertainty, we can be for sure, we can be certain that we have truths and realities from the scriptures about God that can ground us during a time of high stress, fear and anxiety, and really just the unknown. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, but this series is engaged, it's, it's purpose to help you be engaged with God during this time to know that he has our backs, we can trust him and we can rely on him. Last week, Anthony talked about do not fear. And he led us through an array of different scriptures reassuring us and telling us that we don't have to fear, that we can find courage in God during this unprecedented time, that we can be people of confidence, boldness, and certainty because God is a God greater than our fears. And this week, I want to read from a scripture in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. In Matthew 6, 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? Or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Today, the title really is Don't Worry. But the preaching idea that I want to be able to talk about today is managing worry. How to manage your worry. I was a junior in college and I experienced my first panic attack. And if I could describe it, it almost felt like like, a, like, like an anvil was on my chest, like a cow was sitting on my chest, and I, and I couldn't get up. I, I didn't want to move. In fact, that day, I didn't go to class. I didn't go to practice. I didn't, I didn't want to eat, and I just felt, I felt suppressed. It was weird. It was hard to describe it, but that panic attack was very real. It was very scary in that moment. Have you ever experienced a panic attack? I think during that time, my management with stress and worry was, was not really, <laughs> not really anything. And now it's currently not that bad, but 
not exactly good in the same sense. I can still let anxiety get to me. I can still let worry get to me. And you know what? Anxiety, it plays no favorites, guys, right? It plays no favorites here. It doesn't have a bias. It can attack anyone. It can consume anyone if it chooses to. And I think we got to be real. We're not beyond worry and anxiety because we're human. We're people. We're people that just sometimes feel these unwelcome feelings and we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to struggle with it. Whether if it's unwanted or if you probed it into your life. Sometimes worry can be a serious battle. And even Christians battle with anxiety. Even Christians battle with anxiety. And I want to be clear. I don't want to give the impression that anxiety can be dealt with in just this one sermon. That somehow it just will go away in your life, especially if you're struggling with it. So I want to be extremely clear here. Because for some of you, anxiety has been a challenge that has been to your whole life. And you're seeking professional help. And, and I, I want to stop and say, I want to stop and say that, first of all, you're not broken. You're not a second-class citizen. And that sometimes seeking that kind of help is very much a part of God's plan for you to be healed, to be recovered, for you to manage that stress. Nothing's wrong with you. We all feel this. We're human. We feel anxiety. God wants, to, God, wants to, God wants to reassure us. He wants to keep us safe. He wants to help us to understand that he can provide for us. And even Jesus, even Jesus battled with anxiety. Right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed to his father that he would take the cup of suffering away, three times he prayed. Three times that he prayed to God that if, if God could, and if it was his will, he would provide a way out. And the, and, and the author of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, tells that his stress was so severe that his, his sweat was like drops of blood, describing a medical condition. And yet you see our Lord, Jesus, going to God in prayer consistently, managing his worry so he could move forward with God's will in his life. How do you manage worry? How do you manage your stress? Maybe you give in to it. Maybe you let it consume you. Maybe you let it spin you out of control. Or maybe if you're like me, you stuff it and you make like it's not there. And you make like, it's no big deal. Let me just downplay this. And eventually it bottlenecks. And it erupts and it spills out into your life. And rather than consuming you, it'll devastate you because you haven't dealt with it. How do you deal with your worry? Studies have shown that America is probably the most anxious nation in the whole world. And these are studies from like 2012. I was, I was flipping through a couple. 2017, I, if I can recall, the most latest one as far as what I've seen. I can't imagine now what people are going through. I can't imagine how people are dealing with their anxiety right now in the mix of a pandemic crisis. 
where we don't know what tomorrow will hold. We don't know what's going to happen a month from now, a year from now. We don't know if school is going to be back in order. Some of you guys are like, I'm cool with that. (laughs) But for some of us, we don't know if our jobs are going to last. And maybe for others, I don't know if I'm going to get my job back. And maybe for some, I don't know what my retirement's going to look like because of the stocks. I don't know what you're worrying about, but that's not the question. The question is, how will you manage your worry? How will you deal with your stress? Right here, right here in Hawaii, 200,000 unemployment claims. That's over 30% of the people in Hawaii filing for claim for unemployment. To all the way to well-known businesses open for 60-plus years, closing their doors because of the uncertainty. And ultimately, the virus still among us because we don't know exactly who may be caring or not. And we don't know how long this virus is going to last. How will you manage your worry? Here's the thing. I think managing worry was an issue before the virus. And now, with the virus being such a, such a real thing for us, now it's coming to the surface. And it's, it's telling us, and I think God is showing us even more so, that we need to take how we deal with stress seriously. Are you anxious yet? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't mean, I don't mean to make you anxious if you are. I'm just trying to build a case for God here and how God can relieve us and how God can supply comfort to us. And Jesus gives us answers in this text right here. Because wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know that 2,000 years ago, people were struggling with worry. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, people were still wondering, how can I get the things I need Forget get through this? How am I going to, Feed myself. How are you going to get clothes that I need? If I'm thirsty, what are I going to drink if I don't have money? And how worry is relative. You see, just in this text, in verse 25 through 34, three times, three times Jesus says, do not worry. You know, in studying this, it, it would have felt a little bit easier if Jesus is like, yeah, don't worry, but maybe once in a while you can kind of give in and kind of lean into that worry just a little bit. Because when I I read them, I ask myself the question, is it possible to really live a worryless life where I don't worry about the things I do on a day-to-day basis? To live worry-free? I ask myself that question when I'm reading this text, when I'm studying this text. Can someone really live a life free of worry? It seems what Matthew is implying when I study it, with Jesus' worried, it seems like what he's implying that Jesus doesn't want us to be dominated by our worry and anxiety. He doesn't want us to be consumed by it, 
to where we're running after possessions. We're running after things that money can buy. Because right off the heels of verse 25, Jesus says right there in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one master or you're going to love the other one. Or you'll be devoted to one or you despise the other. And here's the punch right there. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, what I think Jesus is saving us from, saving me from, is where worry will lead me. And if I'm not careful, I think ultimately, worry will lead me to desiring things that money requires me to have. And I got to be careful. I think he's really just saving me from myself. Are you, are you challenged yet? I'm challenged, you know, because, you know, I got I to gotta pay the bills. I get, I get kids for feed. I got to feed my face too. You know, I got to take care of things. I get responsibility. But, it, but, but not to worry is for good reason. And I think this is the point I want to dive into today. Worry blinds you. It blinds you from seeing God as your father that wants to take care of you and wants to support you, wants to love you and provide for your needs. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to get us here, get at us here. Worry, worry steals our energy. It zaps our energy from pursuing our heavenly father, from recognizing him as father and for, and, and for seeking him out and desiring more of him. That's the significance of this text is that God is our father. He's our father that loves us and cares for us like no other father can. He wants to provide and he wants you to come to him and seek him and find that comfort. Though we're not to worry, I want to set something clear here. Though we're not to worry and trust in our Father, I don't think this text is saying to be passive, to be lazy, to just cruise. This is now in Bob Marley's song, even though I like that song. You know, don't worry. I'm not going to sing it. Now, don't worry. You know that song? <laughs> this is not the feel. Though that's an awesome song. It's actually quite the opposite, that Jesus doesn't want us to worry so we can focus on the Father and pursue him, which in itself takes a lot of mental fortitude and it takes a lot of work. But he desires us to have more than just possession in this life. He wants us to have possession in the kingdom of God and to be with our Father. For the rest of my time, I want to be able to talk about this loving father, this God who identifies himself as your father in the text so that we can help, in, so I can help you to see that we need to seek him. But first, I want to point out one thing from Jesus' train of thought that I thought was super relevant as far as a, a question. In verse 25, it, Jesus says, is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? 
And it's not your hair more than being cut and permed. <laughs> you know, recently I, I was watching the news and, you know, a lot of people are freaking out that barbershops are closed. You know, Victorino Amawi, the mayor, he's like trying to hold people, brought us back from wanting to get their hair cut. So I, I just wanted to know, like, how you guys looking out there? Maybe we should do a video next week, huh, about getting your buddy's haircut. Nah, 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 just playing. A little bit of humor, yeah? Just for lighting us up a little bit. But you know what? It really puts it into perspective, yeah? When Jesus says, what is your life? What is it about? And I think right now, God is helping us to see that life is truly about what God can provide for us in our relationship for him. He's making it simple for us. Here's what's absolutely vital. Here is what is absolutely vital for you to deal and to manage and not to worry in your life. And it's simply, God is, God is your heavenly father. God is your heavenly father. In the gospels of Matthew, God is referenced as father 22 times. 10 of those times being in chapters 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount. And then two of those times in, in the Sermon of the Mount, it shows up right here. When Jesus says, look at the birds. Look at the fields. Look at the flowers. Look how your heavenly father provides for them. How much more you? And to be honest, did heavenly father, God is heavenly father, it kind of falls it kind of falls on unsensitive ears. For centuries we've been referencing God as father as Christians. Even outside the church, even outside the church, people know that Christians call God heavenly father. But to the first century reader, to the first century listener, if you were right in this crowd, which is probably Jews primarily, when they heard Jesus said, not just Father, but your Heavenly Father, that might have rung a little bit differently. You see, in the Old Testament, compared to the New Testament, the word Heavenly Father shows up way more times in the New Testament, which is really, which is really bringing out a point. I think that no, no longer is God just Yahweh, all-powerful, but God is this intimate, loving, caring Father for us, which he always was, and he always will be. But God really showing that in the New Testament and showing us that he wants to take care of us. If you were to draw... I already said that, sorry. <laughs> what kind of father is this? What kind of father... Is this God? Notice how the text implies a couple views on God here. And how Jesus goes and he says, look at the birds. Look at the birds and how God provides for them. Implying that God is creator. And how God supplies for his creation. And how God is going to give to the birds and to the field. But how much more you how much more you, son of God, daughter of God, that he wants to supply for you because you're not just a simple creation. You're a creation that bears the image of God. He's your father. He wants to care for you. And you're not just 
a simple creation. You're his daughter. You're his son. And he wants to care for you. The love of the Father, as recorded in the New Testament, provides a a portrait of the kinds of feelings and things that we we can understand about God and how with God as our Father, we have a, a place of intimacy with him. We have identity in him. And we have acceptance as his children, as followers of Jesus, that God accepts us. But in this specific context, a father that loves us so we know and feel and believe that we're secure in his hands. We're secure in his provision. There's not a few days that go by that I don't think about what I would give up for my family, my wife, my two sons. There's only a few days that go by where I don't think about caring for them and loving them, giving my life for them if they called for that. And every, every time I put my boys to bed, well, I can't say every time, most of the time I put my boys to bed, When I put them down, I think in my head, and sometimes I tell them as they're falling asleep, I'm going to be there for you as long as I'm granted. I'm going to be there for you to protect you and to love you as long as I can. But God, God is always going to be there as your heavenly father. How, if we want to protect the people we love. You don't even need to have kids. If you have a heart to protect, you understand in some sense the fatherhood, the heart of God. And if we want to protect people, how much more God wants to protect us and take that worry from us and take that anxiety from us so that we can go to him. F.F. Bruce, a New Testament dictionary scholar, says God is the archetypal father. All other fatherhood is a more or less, it's an imperfect copy of his perfect fatherhood. If we want to care for the people we love, how much more God, our father, your father, who cares for us. I know that this idea is going to manage your worry. It's going to alleviate your worry, knowing that God is our Father. Without a doubt, without a doubt in my mind, if you know this, and it's it's even an emotional reality for you, and you believe in it, you're not going to worry because you know our Father is going to take care. He wants to provide for your well-being. I'm not going to lie, initially, when I was studying this passage out, it was a little hard for me to connect with this idea that God is a father. And, and I'm not sure, but, but, but the more I thought about it, the more I felt grateful for God and his fatherhood wanting to save me from where worry may lead me. Let me say that again. I'm grateful for God wanting to save me from where worry may lead me. Really, he's just saving me from myself. 
I've been in a place so many times where I've chased, I've chased things down because the voice of worry is cranked up. I cranked that stereo knob up real high, dog. And it's hard, yeah? It's hard, right? As life progresses, more responsibility comes our way, comes my way, comes your way. As, as life goes on, it seems like there's more put onto our plate and there's more pressure to rise up and to be successful at those roles. And if you're not careful, you get to a place where, again, that volume, that knob on that stereo, that worry knob is cranked up so much that you don't hear the voice of your father. You hear the voice of your responsibilities. You hear the voice of, hey, if you don't live up to this role, you're nothing. You're whatever. But our father in heaven is telling us, you don't need to worry because I'm going to take care of you. And I love you. I accept you. And I'm going to care for you. Turn that knob down. Turn that worry knob down. And turn up, turn up the voice of God so you can hear him. Managing our worry has solutions when you go to God the Father. When you go to God the Father, you're going to be able to deal with those things that you may not be able to control on a better space, on a better field. So how do we do this? Yeah. Where does this leave us? If knowing God as our father helps us, what do I have to do? Where do I go? Well, first, let me tell you, it's, it's probably helpful to know that you are a child of God first. If you don't know, man, you, you got to know. And the Bible is very clear about it in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, in verse 11, it says, he came to which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He's talking about the Jews. In verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Becoming children of God is receiving our Father. And how do you receive him? Quick Bible study real quick. In, in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 25, I know in John 1 it says, to those who believe, receive him. But check this out too. In Galatians 3, verse 25, it says, now that, the, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed themselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and your heirs according to to the promise. You see, our receiving 
our receiving God as our Father is through faith at our baptism. When we put our clothes on of Christ and he recognizes us as sons of God and he sees us as he sees Christ. Maybe not exactly, but maybe in an image of clothing, as it says, that we become sons of God through our faith at baptism. It's probably good to start with where, where do I end up? Where should I go now? Well, it's probably good to start whether if you know you're a child of God or not. It's vital. It's, it's super important. But knowing God as a gracious, loving, and caring father can serve to help our anxiety so you can clearly see what deserves your energy. Knowing God as your father will help you to see what truly deserves your energy? And this is what deserves your energy. This is what your energy, this is what requires your energy. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus says in verse 33, to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things is going to be added onto you. It's going to be given to you. And, and, and take a second even to look at verse 32. In verse 32, how it says, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Interesting, the word pagan or Gentile, kind of generally used as people who don't have faith in God or don't believe in God, don't recognize God. They're on a pursuit. They're on a long-distance run towards things that do not include God. They're running after those things. They're going after it. Why? Well, it's probably because they're worrying. It's probably because they're anxious. It's probably because they desire an abundance of resources. It's probably because they don't recognize God as their father. But you... Going into verse 33, but you, son of God, but you, daughter of God, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that you need are going to be added on to you. Seek him first. What does that mean? Well, it means before anything else. You know, in Psalm 42 Last night, I, I prayed to God of how I was going to illustrate this. And Psalm 42 came in my mind. In Psalm 42, I don't have a slide there. Go ahead and turn your Bibles. What does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, let me give you a Bible illustration. In Psalm 42, this is what the Bible says. In verse 1, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with my God? Beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture here. And how the author says, my soul is like a deer panting for water. 
Well, how, how come that deer knows he needs water? Probably because he tasted it before, or she tasted it, or whatever kind of deer. They didn't taste the water, and they want more. And when we taste the goodness of our Father, we want more. We want to seek more of his kingdom and his righteousness. You know, but to lighten the mood a little bit, or not lighten the mood, but to give, I guess, some relatability. It's, you guys ever went to Helena's in uh, Kali? And you guys, ever, <laughs> you guys ever tried the pipi kaula? Man, that is winners. That thing is winners. Okay, when you, when you taste Helena's pipi kaula, the only thing you can think about leaving there is, when is the next time I can go eat Helena's pipi kaula? Because that thing is amazing. <laughs> and there's nothing that can match up to that. But, you know, in a, in a very um, simple way, I think about it like that. But let me ask you a question. Is your hunger for God more than your appetite for food? Do you thirst for God's righteousness more than you thirst for drink? I really think that's what this text means. When you get down to it, when you boil it down, that because God is our Father, we should desire Him and seek Him. Because when you've tasted and you've seen the sweetness of His love, you want more. And you want to find rest in that. And you want to pursue it. You want to give whatever it takes for it. Recently, I've been kind of intentional about getting out a little bit more. Just because there's nothing to do and... You know, God's just making life simple. So my family and I were going for walks, getting one good T-shirt tan. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when we come back home, you know, I'll go out for a jog. I'll go out for a light run, more of a trot. I'm not really jogging. I'm kind of just, you know, trotting along like a turtle. But I go to Kaka'ako Waterfront right over there. Kind of giving away our location. But anyway, I go to Kaka'ako Waterfront and... I run along the sidewalk where you can see the ocean. And I think a mindset that has really refreshed me is, man, when I'm out here, I hope I can find God. I hope I I might just get a glimpse of him. As I look out into the horizon and I see the clouds from Kaka'ako waterfront, that I might just see God in the clouds, that I might just see his face, maybe even just his hand. And that I'm, a, on a, I'm on a pursuit not for my health. I'm on a pursuit to see and to know and experience God more. To taste. To understand. To be with him. And I'm hoping that I might see him. You might be thinking Brad lost his mind. But I want to offer you a thought as well. When it comes to your times with God. I know you're having your times with God. But are you, are you chunking on more when time is available? Let me say that again. I know you have times with God right now. Our, our church is great at that. Daily, daily quiet times as we call it. But when you can, with the time available, are you chunking on more? Not to say that people are more, more available during this COVID crisis, but just in general, when we have the time, or will we make time to put more in our relationship with God? Maybe to spend an extra 30 45 minutes in prayer or Bible reading or maybe just going on a prayer walk or maybe just 
talking to someone, calling up a brother and sister, asking, hey, how was your quiet times? Extending that discussion from you in the scripture to a, brothers and sis- to a brother and sister. Chunking more time onto your relationship with God. The psalmist says, when can I go and be with my God? When can I go and be with my God? Meaning, that's what was dominating the mind of that psalmist. When can I go be with my God? Meaning, when can I make time? When, when, when can I think of other areas where I can just lump on more time to go be with God? My father, my loving, caring dad. Meeting with God was something that consumed him. And I hope that it consumes you too. That you're just thinking, when can I go be with God? Life with God in the kingdom, as we close out, life with God in the kingdom is not necessarily worry-free. It's not necessarily a life where you're just freed from concern or worry, right? It says to seek first his kingdom, but also his righteousness. In other words, his standards, his moral goodness, implying that we are intended not just to seek his goodness, but to imitate his goodness as well too. Life in the kingdom is not a worry and concern-free life. It's actually the opposite. It's taking initiative to imitate the goodness of God. Though in comparison, I think the pressures of the world cannot compare to the concerns of the kingdom. You worry less in the kingdom. You're less concerned. 